Father, we ask for your blessing upon your word as we're in the book of John here, chapter 17. Pray that you would enlighten us and again teach us these truths that we uh, need for bringing us to maturity. Uh, the simple truths that are contained here. Uh, just burn them in our minds, Lord, uh, so that it will benefit not only us, but those who are around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the book of John, just by the way of review, a couple of chapters back. If I could pick a word to describe a couple of these chapters, uh, chapter 15 would be remain, and it uh, dealt with abiding in Christ. He is the vine, we are the branches. Uh, then chapter 17 was, excuse me, chapter 16, as I read it, was one of promise, promise of a future persecution, promise of the Holy Spirit, promise of Jesus returning to the disciples after his death, and promise to answer prayers and peace. And then chapter 17 is about uh, glorifying God or to be glorified with God. There is a prayer for glory, the prayer for Jesus that he offers up. And if you've ever done a study or looked into it, how many times did Jesus pray that it's written down in Scripture? And somebody has written it down at one time, and it looked like there was about 25 times recorded in the New Testament. This whole chapter 17 is a prayer of Jesus being lifted up. And it is for uh, the disciples and those who would be disciples. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, it says, it tells us that he continues to make intercession for us even though he is in heaven. So the number of prayers that Jesus has offered up is beyond counting. And scripture says that he intercedes for us, which means every one of us. So how many Christians have there been since the time of Christ throughout history? Uh, Millions and millions. And how many prayers has he said for each one of those individuals? Tens of thousands? I don't know how many, but it, it's beyond number. It's kind of like the stars in the sky. There is an infinite number, or excuse me, there is a solid number, but for all intents and purposes, you can't count them. And that's how many prayers Christ has interceded for us with to the Father. Uh, now, going on here, we have in Roman numeral number three, the glory of the Father and the Son. In chapter 17, verse 1, it reads, After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. So number one there is Jesus glorified the Father by dying. It is the time for Jesus to go to the cross, and through his crucifixion, he will bring glorification to the Father. And secondly there, we glorify God by dying to ourselves. John 21 verse 19 reads, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. So even Peter glorified God through the way that he died. And if you do that by extension, of course, for us to glorify God is by dying to ourselves, which is a point that we'll get to in a moment here. Uh, thirdly, we have in John chapter 17, verse 2, let me read that first. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who have you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Uh, thirdly, eternal life or receiving glory. You know, there's hymns that deal with going to glory or uh, being in glory in heaven is obtained through knowing God and not by doing things for God. Eternal life 
or receiving glory is obtained through knowing God and not by doing things for God. Now, there's no question that the works that we do will add to the glory when we are up there. For instance, there's a crown of glory for those who serve as elders in the church if they serve well, according to the scripture. But there are also other crowns for everybody who goes to heaven uh, if they act accordingly, according to the scripture. So this idea of knowing God is what gets us into heaven. And knowing is believing. They're synonymous. If we trust in God with all of our hearts and and believe that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And so it's by knowing God. And it's not by works that we are saved. It is through faith, the grace through faith that we obtain through God. Uh, knowing is believing, as I said. Verse 4, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. This is number four. Jesus existed in glory with the Father before he became a man. Now, there are Old Testament scriptures that point to the Son. If you go back to uh, Genesis uh, from chapter, actually it's in chapter 1, you know, the word of God was there, the Holy Spirit moved upon the face of the water, and God said, let there be light, the Trinity is there. But later on, when Adam and Eve fell, it talked about how Satan will bruise the heel of the one who would come, right? And that's referring to Jesus Christ. Also in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4, it says, who has gone up to heaven and come down? Who has gathered up the wind in the hollow of his hands, who has wrapped up the waters in his cloak, who has established all the ends of the earth. What it is what is his name and the name of his son? Tell me if you know. So even the Old Testament author of Proverbs knew that God had a son. And it's alluded to, uh, he is called the everlasting father. Some theologians say it's better translated the father of eternity in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And so he's considered the father of eternity. If somebody is the father of eternity, that means you have existed forever. Okay? Going Roman numeral number four. These are characteristics of a disciple who is destined for glory. And these are the things that Jesus says in his prayers and prays about concerning his disciples. In John chapter 17, verse 6, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. Number five there is the disciples were given to Jesus by the Father. And secondly, the disciples were obedient, according to John chapter 17, verse 6. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. So a disciple who is destined for glory is going to be obedient. If somebody claims to be a disciple and they're not obedient, then obviously they're not destined for glory. And some would say, now wait a second there, if... What if you're disobedient? Everybody is disobedient, right? Everybody at times falls and goes by the wayside at at some point, whether it's in thought or in deed, and we have to go back to God and ask for forgiveness. And that's the key. The righteous man will fall seven times, and seven times he gets back up. He continues. He perseveres to the end. And that's part of obedience as well, is when we fall, we 
we receive grace and we also give grace to others. And so that's all about obedience there. Then under number seven, verse seven of John chapter 17 says, now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. The disciples understand everything Jesus has received comes from the Father. In other words, Jesus isn't doing anything on his own. He is actually the exact representation of the Father. Everything he does, he does what the Father tells him to do. He does nothing on his own accord. And so a disciple is going to understand that, well, Jesus came from the Father and he does nothing of himself. And that is our example as well. We're not to do anything for ourselves, but everything that God or Jesus Christ wants us to do. Eight here. In verse 8, it says, For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. Eight, Number 8 is the disciples accepted the words of Jesus. Have you guys ever heard a disciple say, Well, I like this part of the Bible, but I don't like that part of the Bible. That part, I, for instance, now this is a, a unique example. Martin Luther. Martin Luther did not like the book of James wanted to throw it out, just get rid of it. But was he a disciple? I would say Martin Luther was a disciple. I would. But when we look at the word of God from our standpoint, the way that we see it, the way that it has been delivered to us, we understand the entire thing is the word of God. And we can't just take the parts we like and get rid of the parts we don't like. If it says that we are sinners from birth, we need to believe that we are sinners from birth. And I've run across Christians who have said, I think we're all born good. And then we just corrupt as we go along, whether the people around us or society or things, thoughts that we come across, others have written. And that's not true. The Bible says we are utterly sinful. And so we need to accept God's word. If we are a disciple that is bound for glory, we need to be obedient and accept the entire word of God and not just accept those parts that we like going on number nine here and this is in the second half of verse eight in John chapter 17 they knew with certainty that I came from you and they believe you sent me the disciples believe with certainty that Jesus has come from the father in other words there's no doubt Uh, All that doubt has gone away. The one who would go to glory, the one who would serve Christ the whole time must be convinced in their heart that Jesus is, in fact, from God the Father. And this is certain. You don't have to be double-minded about it at all. And again, these are characteristics of the disciple who is destined for glory. If a lot of these characteristics are vacant in somebody who wants to follow Christ... They need to be encouraged to come along and accept and receive these things that are written in Scripture. Going on. I'll give you the answer here first, John, or number 10. Jesus prays for his disciples. Of course, this whole chapter is a prayer uh, for the disciples. John chapter 17, verse 9 says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me for they are yours. So Jesus is the one who intercedes for us. Then going on in verse 10, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. Number 11 there is the disciples glorify Jesus. And towards the end here, we'll get into what that glorify means. 
But we proclaim the name of Jesus. We are obedient to him. We give him honor. All of those things, Jesus says that the disciples glorify Jesus Christ. Now, of course, he's, he's talking about the 12 that are here, uh, except for Judas, who is destined for destruction. But he, he is talking about his inner circle. But this also applies to all disciples throughout all of eternity as well, or excuse me, all of time as we will see. Uh, verse 11 here says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. The disciples, number 12, are protected by Jesus. And we don't have to fear. I mean, we are not to fear anyone who can take the body, the life and the body, but we're supposed to fear those who can take, or the one who can take the body and the soul, who has control over the soul. And so Jesus is the one who protects the believers, and we're not to fear. Uh, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a mind that is sound. And so we are protected by Jesus Christ, according to verse 11. Jesus also will never lose his disciples out of his hands. And that's the answer to number 13 or the fill-in on number 13. In verse 12 it reads, While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so the scripture would be fulfilled. In John chapter 10, verse 27, it says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. In Romans eight thirty-five, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Of course, these are all rhetorical questions. Now, I have heard believers say, that if you are in the hand of Jesus and you are a believer, nobody can snatch you out. But they will go on to say that you can jump out. In other words, that you can decide you no longer want to be a disciple, a follower of Christ, that you are renouncing uh, Jesus Christ and everything that he represents. Uh, Some have spoken of it as a deconversion experience, that for a time it was okay but that was for a particular time in their life and they have given that up and they no longer need it nor believe it. I simply believe that they were never saved. Christ is faithful even when we are faithless. Christ will be able to hold on to us. If we go to him in all sincerity, there may be a time where people backslide and, and I think that that's valid. People can backslide and still be saved and I think that they pretty much lose reward. Uh, when they go to heaven. Can we discern who that is? I don't think so. I don't think we can discern that. But I think scripture is clear that those who are saved, you don't get salvation, have your book written in the book of life, name written in the book of life, and then etched out, and then what if you come back? Well, it's written in again. I don't think scripture works like that. I don't think God works like that. So how can we be sure, and how should we encourage others? Just stay faithful. Just Be obedient, even when you don't feel like it. I've mentioned this before, um, especially for moms. I read an article about uh, Adele, the singer. Uh, She had a tremendous fear that she was going to do something wrong for her newborn child. And so she would take time away uh, from her newborn child because she thought she might hurt, I think it was a little boy, she might hurt the little boy. 
and she just wanted to stop. But now uh, she has turned that around and she has stopped drinking. She would drink heavily and she would talk about how it was horrible to take care of a little child with a hangover, which it would be absolutely horrible to do anything, you know, with a hangover. But she realized that she needed to keep in line for the sake of her child. It was her responsibility to do that, even though she didn't feel like it. And so it's our job as believers as well, using that by comparison, even when we don't feel like it, get into fellowship. Even when we don't feel like it, be in prayer. Even when we don't feel like it, be in the word. Even when we don't feel like it, serve. It's not contingent upon how we feel. Christ tells us to die to our own desires and live for him. And that's, again, how we bring glory to God, is by denying ourselves. And so this idea that we can jump out of the hand of God, I don't think that that's a valid way to look at it. Those who forsake Christ, well, God says he will not bear witness for them before the Father. He will deny them before the Father if they deny Christ. And so I think it's pretty clear from Scripture. Our job is just to be solid and remain even when we don't feel like it and do everything that he has asked us to do. Uh, Going on, Roman numeral number five here. The glorifying of Jesus by the disciples. And he mentions this in his prayers. The disciples can be filled with joy. Number one, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. So he's saying that I'm praying to the Father, but I'm saying these things out loud so the disciples will have joy overwhelming. Now, there's no question, as disciples, we can be depressed. I think there have been points in my life where I've been depressed, uh, even clinically, you know, uh, just doing certain things that didn't last long. But we can have this spirit of schlepprock, I guess is how you could say it. Um, the spirit of Eeyore that overcomes us. But God has provided us a way to have joy. And I think that, that the path that leads to that joy is being outside of ourselves. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I focus on myself, I get kind of depressed. But when I focus on Christ and I focus on everybody else, that goes away, especially if I do things for others, it brings joy to me. But when we focus on ourselves, I mean, there's nothing but depression that comes on, right? You know, I I talked about that medical procedure that I had. I find that I'm going in for more medical procedures. I, I want the doctor to look at me because my body is failing, and I don't have a lot of joy in that. Um, I recently had to take, I don't want to be too graphic here, but you know that four liter jug you have to drink and it, (laughs) it has stuff in it that purifies your body. Let's just say that that was horrible. I mean, it was just horrible to drink that stuff and you know, it's for the doctor so he can do his thing. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you will soon enough. But uh, it's just terrible. And you find as you get older, your body starts to degrade and you have to do some checkups on it. I had some uh, attendant curiosis, whatever it is, a little precancerous thing. And they had to take that freezing nitrogen to my face and blast my face with it. And that wasn't too fun. But, you know, as a child, you don't have too many concerns like that if you're a normal child. But it, it can be 
depressing. You go through this life and then everybody around you starts dying on you and everybody around you starts getting sick and you're going, what's going on? If you guys have been to your um, class reunions like I just went to one, you find all these people who have passed on. And you go, wow, man, several, right? John, you went to yours? How many? Your 50th, you had, you had several people that had, have passed on? Yeah, and, and we had the same thing at my 40th. You know, that many have gone on. You go, how, how did they die? You know, what you want to know. And it's kind of depressing. But God provides for us an avenue to have joy. And so instead of looking at all, like for instance, what do you think it's going to be like next Wednesday? <laughs> next Wednesday, it's either going to be, we dodged a bullet, or it's going to be, I'm so depressed. I'm so depressed after this election. Whoever you're going to vote for and whoever, you know, lights your fire. This idea of next Wednesday, I'm probably going to talk about this a little bit on Sunday. But we could be incredibly depressed on Wednesday. Or we could be like, Whew, boy, maybe we dodged that one. I don't know. And it's uncertain. We don't know how it's going to turn out. But we're not supposed to worry or fret or be anxious. Because God tells us the end. And we all know that God has appointed leaders for every country. And we are going to get exactly who he wants us to have. That should bring us joy, right? Lord willing, let's go on. First uh, John chapter 1, verse 4 says, We write this to make our joy complete. And so even the author, John the disciple, uh, wanted to have his joy complete, and also he wrote this for the joy of those he was writing to. Uh, number two there, disciples will be hated by the world. John chapter 17, verse 14. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. So the disciples will be hated by the world. We are hated by the world as believers. If we go out there and proclaim the word or if we go out there and we say that certain behaviors are immoral, if we talk about homosexuality being immoral, if we talk about abortion being immoral, if we talk about adultery being immoral, if we talk about lying being immoral, uh, the world hates that. They don't like to be called to account on anything, just like we don't like to be called to account on anything. But the world hates it whenever somebody brings it up, right? And so there are even, um, is it Rutgers who is uh, making safe zones uh, so that you can go there and there will not be any language used that makes you feel offended, uh, that you can go to as a student. I, I read about some of this stuff. It's just, it's nuts what the world is doing, what they don't want to be said. They don't want any type of masculine gender used in the language of the day. They want to neuter everything, even the scriptures, the new international version, revised version. They're taking, trying to take out all masculine gender pronouns uh, where it is possible uh, in the scripture, which that makes me upset because I use the NIV. I don't like the NIRV or the NIVR that's coming out there. So the world hates 
those who would proclaim the word, who would stand up for Christ, who would stand up for what's right and wrong according to his word. And if we do that, we're going to be hated as well. Thirdly, number three there, under the number five Roman numeral, Jesus prays for the protection of the disciples. Verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. In other words, that we are preserved here through the protection of the Holy Spirit, that we are able to endure what's going on. Now, if we're familiar with the book of Job, I think all of you are, uh, he was still protected by God even though he went through the horrendous trials of his life. He lost seven children. He lost all of his assets, all of his animals. Uh, It was just horrendous time, and his wife, you know, his wife said, just curse God and die. Uh, it this protection that is there is offered by God, but he lets us suffer through trials and temptations and hardships and all of those things, and that's for our benefit. But we are still under his protection, so we never have to say, where has God? He has forsaken me. He is not protecting me. When the contrary is true, have you guys ever read that uh, poem, Footprints in Sand? where, you know, first there were two sets of footprints walking in the sand, and then there was only one, and you have forsaken me. Where have you gone, God? And God says in the end of the poem that it was me who was carrying you through that time. So he is the one that provides for us the protection from the evil one. Number four here, the disciples of Jesus do not accept the things of or act like the people of this world. John chapter 17, verse 16 reads, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. In other words, we hold to the word. We say this is truth and we proclaim it. Not only do we proclaim it, but we hold it as our standard for action. Whatever we do, whatever we say, were to act accordingly. Like, for instance, have you guys ever heard somebody who said that they were a Christian, that you knew that they have said they were a Christian, and then they take God's name in vain? Have you ever heard that? You know, when I've heard that, I've, I've just gone, what? You know, they're, they're just talking like, no, you can't talk like that. What are you doing? You know, it's, it's, you're violating scripture. But I don't beat them over the head. I go, brother, what'd you say? You know, what's going on? Or, cussing you know the same thing and sometimes guys will be out there i'll be working with them and they'll they think it's okay to cuss and not every single time but i'll ask them again i'll say what 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 was that what'd you say you know it's like let's keep each other accountable we want to make sure that we're not doing that we're not cussing like the world we don't accept the things of the world and we don't act like the people of the world we're supposed to be different that's what Christ calls us to be, is different and, and a peculiar people, so to speak. Number five, the disciples of Jesus know that they are set apart for the world to come. In verse 18 it reads, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, and they too may be truly sanctified. That they too may be fully sanctified. That sanctified means just to be set apart for a special purpose. Uh, when I was growing up, my mom had this box, <clears throat> and this box had silverware in it, and it only came out at Thanksgiving and Christmas. And she also had a set of china that was given to them on their wedding. And so this nice china and the silverware 
only came out at those two times. They were separate for that. We would not use them for everyday use. We used uh, Pyrex. You know what that Pyrex stuff is? You can throw it against the wall and it won't break, you know. And then you'd have the Tupperware cups or the, remember the old aluminum or the tin cups that were colored. You know, we had those and those were for everyday or common use. But we are sanctified. We are set apart. God considers us like that china or he considers us like the silverware uh, that is in a box and only brought out for special uses. And so that is our purpose. We're set apart for God and his kingdom to glorify him. True disciples of Jesus will be unified, right? John chapter 17, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you and are in me and I in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So he's praying for unity here that the disciples would be unified. Now, as believers, we disagree on things. Is it baptism by pouring, by sprinkling, or by dunking? And we'll disagree on that. But we don't disagree on the deity of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, his virgin birth, the Trinity, uh, his ascension, his return. We all agree on those things. Uh, There is a quote that I'll give to you on the next one. It's, in essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. That's a quote by Augustine. And so we should be like that, too. We should be unified. Uh, The colors of chairs, uh, the colors of the roof, it it doesn't matter. How you decorate the kids' rooms, it, it doesn't matter. We can be unified on the essentials and give way or give charity or love in all things if they're not the non-essentials. That's where we have the liberty. And going on here, the true disciples of Jesus, this is another way, oh, I already said the true disciples of Jesus will be unified, correct? Did I give you that one? Yes. yes. Okay. <clears throat> then, going on, uh, Roman numeral number six, the glory of the disciples in the future. Now, I'm going to give you these things here, and there's several listed. Is this the one? No, I already gave those to you. Wait. Do I have it? It didn't make it on my printing. No, maybe it did. Yes, it did. Okay. Verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So, of course, this is also talking about the disciples being unified and having that unity amongst them. But Jesus, he is saying here, wants his disciple to share his glory. 
So this glory that Jesus had before the foundations of the earth, he wants that to be restored. He's talking about that. But he also talks about those coming with him that will also share this glory in the future. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, he called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And also Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So this glory that we're supposed to receive and this glory of Jesus, I have a question for you. What is this glory that we are going to receive? Can you describe what it is? First, what's the glory of Jesus? Can you describe what that is? Do you have any thoughts on that? And for right now, there's no right or wrong answer. I'm just picking your brains. What is the glory that Jesus will receive? Because it says it in Scripture. We're going to share in his glory, right? So what is he going to receive? Think about it a second. Contemplate it. We are his glory and thanksgiving. He's going to receive thanksgiving. Okay, I think those are good. Because Paul talked about the Corinthian church being his glory, right? So we are also the glory of Jesus Christ. But we are going to receive his glory. So what? For instance, is Jesus going to be all lit up in heaven? (laughs) He is. He's the bright and shining one, right? So that's part of it. So what are we going to receive? (laughs) That's good. Sunglasses. No, we won't receive sunglasses. We'll be able to look upon him without sunglasses. By the way, It does say this in scripture in Matthew chapter 13, verse 43. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Philippians 2, 14, do everything without complaining or arguing so that we or so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. So a couple of times we have this mentioned that we are going to shine like the stars, like the sun. We are going to be bright ones like the angels we know are shining ones as well. And so everything in heaven is going to be lit up, right? So that's one glory, right? Well, what comes along with that glory too? How did God glorify the Father? Or excuse me. Let me say that differently. How did Jesus, who is God, glorify the Father? Obedience. What was the specific act that he did that he talked about in this chapter? He said, it is time for me to glorify you. How's he going to do that? The crucifixion. He is going to glorify the Father by being crucified. Now, some might say, well, Wait a second. You mean I have to die in order to be glorified? Yep. 
that's exactly what it means. So Jesus is glorifying the Father through the crucifixion because that's why he came to earth. He came to earth to die. And, you know, the whole book of John, I keep looking at this from chapter to chapter to chapter, and it's all about dying, that God came to die. And if we remain in him and we die, he'll be glorified. And we'll be glorified if we die for him to ourselves. And, you know, you read that and you just go, man, he's asking a lot here, isn't he? Isn't he just going to give me salvation? now? if we want to be a disciple, and I just read you this, the, the characteristics of a disciple that Jesus was praying for, saying that they will be like this, and I don't know if there's 13 of them on there, but, you know, it's for us to come to the realization, what is he asking of me exactly? He's asking us to die. You know, this glory that we're going to receive, and it says this in First Peter chapter 5, it's talking about the elders. It says, the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and the one who, will also, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherd of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And I think that's the reason they would share the glory, which is available to everyone. It's just the elders have a particular office. So those things that he lists here, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Those are the characteristics that will bring glory to the individual who goes to be with God. It says also, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And so their examples to the flock on what to do so that they may copy the example that Christ gave to the elders. You see how that works? And that is denying self. So this idea of glory, Jesus gets it because he was humble. Jesus gets it because he had authority, but he didn't take advantage of it. Jesus did it because he came to seek and serve the lost. Jesus gets it because Everything he does brings glory to the Father. And so for us, it would be a place of honor because we have humbled ourselves. God lifts up those who have become humbled, and he does it on the other side of this life. Also, he will give a place of authority. That is another glory that awaits us. God says we will be raised to rule and reign with Christ. It's not that we would lord it over them. We would only do what God the Father wants us to do according to the word of God, which is Jesus Christ, by the authority and power of the Holy Spirit. Also, it's a, a place of humility. Jesus was humble. Who is the most humble man, does Scripture say, that existed in his time on the earth? Moses, that's right. Moses was the most humble man that existed. And what does that mean to be humble? It means he didn't want anything for himself. He he did not place himself above others. Also, it's a place of giving. That's exactly what Moses did. That's exactly what Jesus did. Gave of themselves to everyone else. It is also a place of love. Love manifests itself through deeds, through action. And also it's a place of sacrifice. And that's the ultimate thing that brought glory to God the Father was the sacrifice going to the cross that Jesus did for us and for the sake of the Father. And that's what it's all about. It's us 
sacrificing. So in Jesus' prayer, he lays out a roadmap for us. These are the characteristics of the disciple. He asks the Father to protect us. He, he cares for us. We will not be lost. And when all of that is done, if we humble ourselves and we are servants of him, he will bring glory to us. And that glory is described in everything I just gave to you. And that's what Jesus receives. And none of us will seek glory for ourselves. God will just give it to us because we'll have perfect hearts at that point. We'll have a perfect attitude. We will have the perfect natures at that point. God will take away all of the imperfections that exist in us and it will be as God intended it to be. You guys have any questions about John chapter 17? You all said to be dying. You know, that's what it's all about. Okay, we're done early, so we're going to pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it shows us, it gives to us the roadmap of being those disciples who expect to be glorified. And Father, help us uh, to be like Christ, one who is crucified, one who has set aside the things of this world. And Father, for those who are here and myself, we are not perfect. We fail so often. And we recognize it and confess that to you. But we ask by the power of your spirit, You would extend to us your mercy and your grace and give us those works and help us to have that relationship with you so that we know we are assured of our salvation. And may we never be assured by the fact that we just do things, but understand that we do things because we are assured. We thank you, Lord, for your word and the guidance it provides. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Thank you guys for coming.